back. Welcome to the latest edition of Black Coffee with a Little Sugar. Um, this is Stan. I'm Jason. I'm Yvette. Thank you all for joining us. Um, we are excited to be back. We took a week off, but um, now we're going to kind of hit it hard. Um, we've got a very sensitive issue we're going to talk about, sensitive issues that we're going to talk about today, and um, I'm going to hand it off to Yvette to kick us off. So recently, my brother's family had a tragic loss. My nephew, his best friend was killed. I mean, it's another black youth shut down. Um, his name um, is Devante. He hadn't even had a chance to tap into his own greatness yet, and now he's he's gone. Hearing a little bit about him has really touched my heart. I have three boys. Um, my boys are 14, 12, and 10. I mean, just to lose another baby to gun violence, though I'm so far away from everybody and I didn't personally know him, I mean, it shatters me. I mean, it shatters me over and over again, uh, just another black baby lost. Jason, I know you spent some time with this this young man. Um, can you share a bit about him? Yeah, uh, thank you. And um, it, it, it's hard. You know, in, in my in my in my work, I get to see a lot and hear a lot, and and my job is to process that quickly, move into the next layer, get the support ready to go, and get people back on track. Um, and that's what started this. It was standard notification. Here's another, you know, um, and and unfortunately, what turned out to be another and another, and, and sort of that cold, callous, you know, movement through. I get a notification the night before, the night it happened, uh, activate everything. And the next morning, I get a quick text from Stan and it says, uh, this is the Devante that was Justin's best friend. And I went, wait a minute. No, no, no. This is the, that mean that, that Devante, the Devante who came to my house, who played with my babies, who was a respectful, beautiful little human being. Who, who helped us get into a interesting conversation with some neighbors around race, actually. I, I, it was different. And and it felt like there was a lot of guilt that it shouldn't be different because I knew him. Uh, it should, every matter, every boy uh, that is taken like this should matter. But this one really hurt. This one was really different. And and I know Stan had, uh, had much closer to it, but um, even at that outer ring, it was, it was impactful. You know, I um, I've I've experienced a lot of tragedies because of my previous jobs. You know, I, I was a I was a reporter for a couple of years. I covered crime in court, and I remember covering lots of shootings, lots of murders. And then I got into schools, and a lot of people don't understand how violent some schools can be. But um, it was constant that kids were getting shot, and then some of them died. And um, that's where I, Jason and I actually started getting close because we, we worked together and we had to experience a lot of that stuff. And so, you know, at some point you become numb to it, unfortunately. But, um, you know, when after George Floyd um, was killed in Minneapolis, this place has been like a war zone and people are getting shot every day, um, every night. It's just a constant thing. And then, you know, you, you, you end up, it's, it's hard to say you get used to it, but a little bit of that happens. Um, you keep your kids safe and then you, you keep going. 
and until you know it hits home and and that's what this one did um Devante um was um shot and killed and um you know I'm not going to say that 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 you know he was a perfect kid but but who is there's nobody that's perfect but in me in my eyes he's a baby he was a baby um uh, I first met him um the second part of the second grade year and Justin and Devante were best friends since third grade and you know, at that when they were younger, I mean, we did everything that everybody does. You play dates. You're you're together all the time. He's eating at our house. He's sleeping at our house. Justin goes over to his house, and um, it's just normal. And um, then they got closer, and then Devontae all of a sudden started going to some of my friends' houses and and doing road trips with us and going on you know kind of outings with us. And so he was almost like like uh, an adopted son because he was at our house all the time. He was a beautiful kid. Um, he, you know, I described him. He always had a smile and he, he could look you in the eye and, and, and he was just a light. He was a bright light and gone way too soon. 17 is way too soon. And, um, you know, my heart is broken. And, and that was one of the toughest conversations I've ever had to have. Um, I remember the morning that um, we needed to tell um, Justin and Kelsey, um, my babies, and um, you know their mom came over to the house, and we kind of broke the news to them. And you know I never seen Justin. You don't see your babies cry like that often, and and I'll never forget it. And then I looked over, and and my other baby Kelsey, who you don't think about, but you know he was like a big brother to her because he was around our house since third grade, and she's she's thirteen, so she knows him really well, and she was kind of in shock for a few hours. And so we're still kind of getting over that. And, um, but, but, you know, I think, you know, it's also good to have good friends because when you are going through stuff, you can turn to people. And, you know, Jason was one of the people that, you know, was there for me. So can you share like what we talked about the next day? Yeah. You know, um, it's one of those lucky moments where, we've got some support structures that can support us. And so I was able to support you and we sat there and we talked, we talked about the fact that how many people know a kid who makes breakfast as a teenager for a family when he's staying over at his house, that doesn't happen. That's not a kid who you're going to look at and who the media portrays when they see these things. And we really started talking about how the media really has, has this double standard and this bias around how they talk about tragedies when it comes to black boys and girls and how it really comes out um in those moments of we had a we had a similar tragedy just days before where some kids were doing wrong they had carjacked uh they had carjacked somebody took the car ran away crashed and died and the story was about the carjacking it wasn't about the loss of three teenagers and there was no there was no moment to say you know what they may have made a mistake but who were they before and with when we we compounded that with the love and the knowledge of what Devante who Devante was, we said we had to do something. We could not let the media make this another story they just ignored. Um, and and instead of you know and leading with some story about some white kid who's done something special. And so Stan had the you know he he'd worked enough of his of his uh, connections over the years that he was able to have that platform. And tell me how that went, Stan. I mean I know it wasn't easy. You know, and I'll be the first to admit that I used a little influence and I could do that. So I, I wish that wasn't the case. I wish anybody could. I wish I wish people didn't have to call the media. If somebody dies, they cover it. 
in the right kind of way. And, but I, I was able to, you know, that, that conversation that we had just kind of made me mad. I know I was going through the different <laughs> levels of grief and I was pissed. And so I'm like, not this time, not this time. You're not going to just, this is not going to be a, a, a little note or an asterisk. Um, this was a beautiful human being and he deserved some type of story, something to remember him by. And so, you know, I have a couple of people I texted and um, the next day they, they came and they did the right thing. They, and they did it the right way. Um, it was about him, but it was also about the story of a lot of youth that are getting gunned down and people are forgetting about. Um, that's somebody's kid. That's somebody's brother. That's somebody's um, husband or wife or, you know, if it's a teenager or not, but girlfriend or boyfriend. I mean, that's somebody that that is loved and cared for and not a, just a, a stat or data. And so they, they came and they did a beautiful tribute to him. And and um, it was probably like therapy. My, my kids saw it and I think it helped them. And um, I'm sure... Um, his relatives saw it, and it probably helped them a little bit. So, and, and and don't don't get me wrong. If someone wants to argue with me that, oh, you get you you're just being sensitive. The people cover it. They don't. It's not the same. In Minnesota here, I could name three different folks who I could drop a name in Minnesota, like Jack Jablonski or Jacob Wetterling, or it, and people all know exactly what we're talking about. I say the name Devante, and and nobody that didn't know that didn't know him doesn't know what we're talking about. That's what I'm talking about. The tragedies that happen to to white kids in this in this state, especially, get a lot more press than what this got. This got some very good coverage that day, but. It, it needs to be a story that continues to be told because there's moms out there, there's there's dads out there having this conversation with their sons and daughters about what it is like for them out there, right, Yvette? Oh my gosh, it's just it's overwhelming actually to me in in a lot of aspects. I mean, I know you guys can't see me. We're reporting, we're recording this podcast, and I sit in a room where I look at the pictures of my my three sons and the different different stages of their life. And my brain really cannot comprehend um, that, that somebody else's child has been taken away from them. They don't, they don't view the teens as, as humans. They, the media um, and people, some people just don't, I mean, we're called monsters in some aspects. And I just, I think about what do I tell my sons? How do I tell them how to be? How do I try to keep them safe? And, you know, I have friend, I have a friend who, you know, lost a child recently. I mean, she's a, she's an adult child, but a child nonetheless, but wasn't taken from him in, in gun violence. And it just, my heart feels like it wants to explode because how do we, how does, how does that family put itself back together again with such a loss? And, you know, to know that the mother had lost another son. So it's two sons, two, two. That changes the fabric of that family's life for, I mean, forever, for generations. And I think that that is the bigger picture with each loss of a black male it is destroying the possibility 
for generations. Yeah, that's real. That that's real. And um, you know, you mentioned it about you know teens, black teens, black boys aren't really seen as human sometimes. They just they're not. And you know, I, I, I didn't even think about this until right now. What has it changed? You know, in slavery days, you know, you know, everybody got along with the babies. Everybody got along with the babies, and then a certain age came, and then it was done. And we haven't even changed, have we? Not at all. We haven't even all. changed. Emmett Till. And, yeah, yeah. So, so these you are know, deep topics, and we're gonna stay there. Yeah. You mentioned Emmett Till, but I could say Galen Moon. My son stands five foot seven. He wouldn't hurt a fly. But people now, as opposed to people maybe even three or four years ago, they're starting to clutch their purses because he stands five foot seven. He's not a menacing human being at all, if you know my son. But yet it still hasn't changed, even for children who wouldn't even think about touching something that doesn't belong to them. It drives me nuts. We're gonna we're gonna pick on everybody in this podcast today. Um, you know, we we sometimes we we pick on white people. I mean, the, the podcast is black coffee with a little sugar, so we have to do that sometimes. But but you know, I'm gonna talk a little bit about black on black crime right now. Oh, I just said it, didn't I? You just said it. And you so did. The beauty and what my background is, I, I was born in New York, and then. I moved to North Carolina and then I moved to Minneapolis and in Minneapolis, we don't even talk about it. Like, I don't know if it's political fear or what, but everywhere else I lived, we talked about it and it's a thing. And you can't walk into a black church in the South and not talk. They are talking about black on black crime. And it's a thing. And it's in society, I know societies, there's things that's happened to society that, that makes that happen. But, you know, regardless of the things that make it happen, it's still happening. And our babies are killing each other every single day, every single day. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, this whole, uh, it's not even a notion. It is a thing, like Black-on-Black black crime. I mean, it, where we came from, I mean, it's talked about, it's preached about. Man, it's lectured about in, in everybody's house that you would go into. Look, my mama had a version, God rest her soul, and it was nine years that she passed away this week. But she would always close every letter, every phone call with, don't let the devil use you today. Now, listen, I know that means something different to everybody. But for me, that meant that, Yvette, keep your mouth closed because you are hot. You come in hot and it could get you in trouble. But that was her way of saying, hey, you know what? If you could let things escalate beyond your control and it could cause you trouble. So, um, well, I know, you know, my mama, she probably was trying to talk to me because <laughs> I, I, I failed that a lot. <laughs> the devil Amen. used me a lot of days. <laughs> I'm still working on that one. Oh, you yeah. Know, I, I thought, I thought, tell the truth to shame the devil was a good one, but now I got, now I got a new one I got to use. I got to like that. But, you know, here, so here's the question I have, though, and here's, here's the real question that comes out. And I'm going to go back in a story for a second of, my, of how I was brought up. My grandfather was the primary person who raised me, and he was he was World War II era. So 
he, you know, not woke by any any stretch of the imagination. And but not hateful, you know. I mean, and 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 that, and that was important to me because, you know, yeah, he would call a Brazil nut something that it shouldn't be called. He would he would when he'd fix something and 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 fix it, you know, just with duct tape and bubble gum. He'd he'd use a term about how he how he rigged it. And when he talked about people, he talked about how there was different people. There, there were black folks, and then they, then he'd use the N word for folks that were doing crime or doing bad things. And he'd say, "There's white folks and there's white trash." And he made a, he made a, he made a very interesting distinction. And so, where is the line? Now, now, obviously, move it forward today. We, you know, the terms are going to be a lot different. But where is that line between talking truth? about something like black on black crime and giving fuel to those racists and those folks who are going to jump on this and say, see, told you it's, it's, it's their problem. It's keep them in the, keep them in the cities, keep them out of our suburbs, protect our suburban white women, all of those things that are right now, the dog whistles. So where is that line that we can walk between truth and fuel to the other side? Well, I don't work for the government anymore. I don't work for the school district anymore. I'll just say what the hell I want to say. And um, I'll use an example um, of exactly what you're talking about. You remember, Jason, that I won't say the name of the high school. Remember that high school a few years ago where there was this huge fight and uh, it made national news because there were 200 people throwing things around and acting like they were fighting. Some of them were fighting. And, you know, for this podcast, I'll just say African-Americans versus Somalis. And... Um, we're all here together, guys. So we're all kind of Americans, but you know what I'm saying. And it was a painful thing. But the bottom line is I remember the storyline because I was having to put it together for the school district. And we were so afraid to even talk about, yeah, this was black on black. This was a black on black fight. We danced around that issue. And you know what? It was. And all the kids in the school knew and everybody knew. And, you know, the way I feel is I believe we just need to be honest about things and deal with things, not sugarcoat everything like we did there. But that's just one example of many of of, of not getting the narrative right because we're afraid of what people are going to say. We're afraid of the politics. We're afraid of what people think. And I mean, sometimes it's just a lot easier to be honest. Yeah, that was a. Uh... That was an interesting day, and and we can talk more about that some other day once I retire. But the yeah, um, and and, you, and some of the magic you pulled that day that we we don't want to tell away give away secrets. But for me, this is where I struggle in my role. You know, Black Lives Matter not as a movement but as a as a reality, and we've talked about it already today. People are seeing black boys and girls as as not important, as not human, as not babies. And so where is that? Again, I got to ask these questions that maybe don't have answers today about where is that line? So I've got kids who are tough kids to love, who are doing things, who are, are disrupting things. And I've got folks, black folks, as well as white folks who say they want to love them, have, have started to build a relationship with them, but just are at the at their wits end when they're doing these kind of things that lead down the path of getting kids killed. So where is it? Where is that line from just love to tough love and and mattering versus you know what we got to move on and move on to someone else we could save the the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few. Now I, I fight back against it every time I do it, but sometimes it, it, the question really hits me too. How 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 far do we go? 
we go all the way. I think that that's the thing, you know, we're always trying to figure out how far do we go. We go as far as we need to go always. You got to always love. There's a Bible verse that I love. Yes, I'm 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 the Bible girl, but <laughs> there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You know, it just reminds me of the prodigal son. You know, most people know the story about the prodigal son, and I won't go into all of that. But the thing that just makes my heart leap is that when that when that boy came home, his father saw him from a long way, and he took off running to get him. And that's what we got to do for these kids. They might have done wrong. They might want to live their best life. But us, we, the people who teach them, who love them, who want relationship with them, when we can run to them and, and wrap our arms around them and say, yeah, you was doing all the things that you was big enough to do, but we are still here. We are here for you. We're going to put on your, we're going to give you the best food. We're going to put on the best robe. We're going to give you everything that you may not even deserve because grace and mercy does that for us. And I think that we have lost that along the way. We need to we need to give them a little bit more grace, a little bit more mercy, because God knows we all need it. You know, we and I'll say we as black people, we haven't had much of a choice. We haven't had much much of a choice because so many of our people have been put in jail when they probably didn't deserve to go. And so you we we have to be we're very forgiving people. And so you know, the notion of when is, when is enough enough, you know, you need to ask, people need to ask themselves, when do you stop loving your own kid? Kind of never, right? <laughs> You're going to keep doing never. that. And so, and and we all have seen people change. Every, anybody can change. I'm not saying everybody changes, but everybody has the potential to change. And the second you give up on somebody, you're giving up on on this society. You're giving up on on your faith, you're giving up on hope, you're giving up on your family. You're giving you're, up on yourself. You're giving up on yourself. Because we all have changed. I mean, if you think about who you were when you were small or hell, who you were even last week, man, there's evolution that takes place all the time. But I think that we get blinded by um, our absolutism to, to see it. You know, it's funny. I say God's got a sense of humor when uh, I, I ended up with three daughters. So I, I understand what you say about change. That goes back to that. Don't let the devil use you today. I think. <laughs> that, you know what that? Yeah, that needed to happen because now when I think about you, you I mean, yeah, you're such a tough guy. You needed to like, he emphasized this. Okay, let's soften this dude up. Let's soften him up. <laughs> Oh, I was talking about other 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 transgressions in my past lives, but we, 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 we that's a different podcast. But you know, sometimes you? it's me. Yeah, sometimes it's about saying it's words. I mean, words matter, but but how? But to to that's point about absolutism. Do they always matter? Is saying the right thing all the time necessary? Yeah, we're gonna shift gears, and, and you know, I'm a journalist. I mean, I, I don't write nearly as much anymore, but words matter. Words matter and words, words set people off. Words can change the direction of any conversation in any meeting. 
And I have an example from yesterday. I'm on this board. I won't name the board, but it's a board that focuses on people who have intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, so it's great work. And they just haven't, they, they haven't done a good enough job of really serving everybody. They haven't been serving black and brown people worth a damn. I mean, just to be direct. And so they have somebody there. They have people there now that want to do that. And so they, they're trying to begin that work. Um, they've recruited new board members. Um, and, you know, we're kind of on our way, right? Nope, not really. Because uh, during a meeting, a couple of, I'll just say, quote unquote, well-meaning. I think they're well-meaning. I can't, I'm not going to judge them. But well-meaning people, they just say the wrong things. They say the wrong things. And all of a sudden, you know, the Somali board member is very offended. The indigenous board member is very offended um, and it's on, it's on. And all of a sudden um, we have a meeting that was productive to a major setback to the point where it was almost an argument in the board meeting. And so, and all it took was like two or three words. So words are powerful. And, and my question now though, is like, how do we bring people along? When we know that there's not many things that can be said that wouldn't set people off, how do you bring well-meaning white people along? And I don't think it's our responsibility as black people to do that. I think we got enough going on. But I do think it's our responsibility sometimes to have a little bit of grace because everybody says some stuff that they shouldn't say from time to time. What do you, you know, think? That grace is probably where I, I would I would the only place I would feel comfortable asking for anything is asking for grace, not necessarily trying to lead us into it. But I think as somebody who's lived it, you know, and I, I, I got, I've got my own example of, of being in front of a group and, and, you know, saying uh, you guys, as in uh, trying to say you all or, or everyone here, you guys, it's a, it's a statement that a lot of women I know use a lot of people use, but someone in the, in that, in that front row, um, felt like I wasn't being inclusive enough of women when I said that. And when I said, when I tried to apologize, then I got, then, then I got snapped on for apologizing and, and being in my place of white privilege and male privilege and all of these things. And, and that was, that was a weird place for me because, because I was, I, to me, I jumped to being a double standard. I jumped to, well, how the hell am I supposed to know everything I'm supposed to say? What, why, why am I supposed to know every, every word I'm supposed to say when I'm just trying to be genuine and real? And it, and it, and it, it went to, it, it brings up a lot of strange things when you're talking about at what point is someone supposed to, you know, have, be able to tolerate someone who's learning, someone who's coming through and someone who's, who's got good intentions versus having this moment of, as soon as they say the wrong thing, now we're going to cancel them or now we're going to, we're going to go at it. And, and, you know, we've got the, and we talk politics a little bit a lot in this, um, you know, that that concept of being called a snowflake because you, you're you're fragile and you're gentle and you're unique. And and that's a, a negative term, but that's a positive that we like and embrace uniqueness. But how am I supposed to get a, how are folks supposed to really learn if the first reaction to when they're wrong is to be attacked? So that grace is really something that I would I would hope we start understanding with folks. You have any? You have anything on that one, Yvette? So you know, you know, I had to just kind of sit in that statement um, that Jason was talking about just for a moment. 
Um, and it reminds me, I think everything reminds me of my mama this week. But one of her favorite songs was Amazing Grace. You know, I won't sing it, but um, there Please is do. a you like that one. <laughs> Maybe and, one day she, I will. She, she can sing it. I know. <laughs> but there's um, there's a part of that song that 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 really touches me, and it basically talks about I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now. I see. See, with that, that is indicative that there is space to move and grow and make mistakes and come back to the knowledge of what is right. But we live in a time where it's it's absolutes, where you're always this way and you never do this and and it's you can never blah blah blah. And it doesn't give us the space or the grace to know that we can make a mistake and that we can change. You know, I have a good friend um, here in town. Um, I call her Mary, right? Mary and I, we toss around ideas all the time. She'll text me, she'll call me. She'll say, hey, Matt, what do you think about X thing? And, and uh, Mary is um, a Caucasian lady. She is. She lives here in Tampa, but she's from Richmond, Virginia. and um, but I love her. I love her heart because, you know, she wants to make sure that she says it in a way that she can she can be effective. She doesn't want to hurt anybody. So a lot of times she'll bounce things off of me to say, well, what do you think about this? Do you think this is right? Do you think that that is right? Or am I saying this right? And sometimes, you know, with gentle correction, because I know her, because I love her, I can say, hey, yo, Mary, this it's not right. <laughs> you you might need to think about it this way. And she does the same for me. And I think all around what we're getting at, like if you don't have relationship with people, you can't speak into their life. You can't give them correction. You can't give them nothing. You need to, when we're forming all these committees, and I know that's not, maybe not plan of the part of the planning of it, but y'all need to get to be able to learn how um, people think sometimes. And I think that these things would go better and it would be more of an integrated experience. That's what I think. You know, I think um, just thinking about the terms that like words are powerful and, you know, I feel like there are people who are just unforgiving and relentless and, you know, do I lose all of my racial street cred, street cred if I, if I don't understand certain words, like, you know, like all of a sudden now everybody's saying BIPOC. Like, does it really matter if I use that term? Does it matter? Does it mean that I don't know anything or I don't care? Does it matter? Um, LGBTQ, I know what those are. Those letters mean, but there's more letters now. Does it mean that I don't care? Does it mean that I, I'm not open? Um, if I, negative, should I, should I say native? Should I say American Indian? Should I say black? Should I say African American? Like what, like, does it really matter? I've always told people, you know what, you call people what they want to be called. And if people say they want to be called something, you call them that. If you don't do that, then you're being an ass. And so, but <laughs> you know, yep. you're being and an ass. Here he comes. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> here I come. But, but I, I think that, you know, you need to, you need to look at somebody's heart. And if it offends you, if they don't know, have all the right words and teach them, man, spend a little teach bit of time and teach them. And I know I'm not saying to put another burden on people, 
But if you're going to get that damn upset about it, then teach them. And, and, and that's how that's what I got to say about that kind of thing. But love does do that. Love, love teaches. Even the dog thinks so. Charlie, yes, indeed. Hey, we can all learn and grow. And um, but if when you love somebody and, and they're not saying it right, then you teach them. You teach them without judgment. And I think that that's a, a, a greater part of what's going on here is that people often feel judged and then they're left with the guilt of getting it wrong and no place to go and no place to go to ask because then you get then you then you you feel like well i I don't want to put a burden on on someone to ask them was this the right thing to say and so now they sit there in this space of just turning and churning and without that grace and without that love we're not going to get any farther. And I think that's where I think we really want to get today. These, not all these questions have answers, but um, the easiest answer is, is that idea of that grace and that relationship. Cause we'll get a lot farther if we're sitting on those than if we're sitting against those. Yeah. And the more set, the, the more selfless we are, we drop the ego, we drop how we might feel about it and go ahead and ask the question because, you know, you got to let go a lot of pride to, to, you know, to admit when you don't know something or you don't know the right way to say it or the right way to maybe even think about something. It takes um, it takes a big person to let go a lot of the pride to say, hey, yo, I don't I don't know. Can you help me? And it's up to people who know people who have the information to go about and deliver that message in a way that people can receive it. That's I think that's our job. Yeah, I think um, well said, well said, um, and that's a wrap. We're gonna um, we're gonna thank everybody for listening to us, and um, this is awesome. Um, we have a following now, so we appreciate everybody listening to us. Um, please share, send us a comment, um, share this with your friends and family, and um, you know we'll be back. Um, take care, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Take care.